You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to today's edition of the Coaching Inn where we have Nathan Whitbread on a return visit because he sent me an email and said, tell me more about triage in coaching. So I'm Claire Pedrick, and this is Nathan Whitbread. Nathan, give us a little headline on who you are and then tell me more about your question. So I am a recent graduate of the Transforming Conversations program. And I'm a coach and I have an organization called the Neurodivergent Coach, which is actually started off being about me, but actually is a lot to do with how to coaching people and working with people who have neurodivergent conditions and people who are in leadership who want to best use that in the workplace. My question is about triage coaching. So you had this thing that you shared, Claire, about triage coaching, and it really captured me, this idea that we could do a session to work out what we needed to do. And it felt for me that there was a lot you could do with that it felt to me it's almost like the contract for the person that's probably even bigger than maybe the piece of work that they had come in in my situation to come to do work with me and I was my question around it was how to do that really well that is such a good question so if I just kind of if I talk about where that came from, and then you'll probably want to come back to me with that question because I'll have forgotten it by then. That's all right. <laughs> so years and years and years ago, uh, I used to get sent people because I was a confidential person yeah. who knew the organisation, hadn't met the individuals before, probably wasn't going to see them again. And somebody in that organization used to say, go and talk to Claire. We'll pay for you to talk to her for an hour. And hopefully by the end of that hour, you'll have worked out what it is that is the intervention that you actually need for the thing that's caused other people to send you for the conversation. Because the the issue is there are so many dyadic one-to-one things aren't there there's coaching there's mentoring there's therapy there's psychiatry there's counseling there's everything and and one of the issues is that many of those cost money and many of them have a waiting list so if if somebody says to a colleague i think you need counseling yeah well first of all that's I think you need, which is a piece of learning, because I hadn't realised it was quite that directive until I just said that to you. (laughs) So there's something about doing to somebody else, and then they have to sit on the waiting list for the counsellor to have six sessions. Yeah. And then in session one, they realise that the thing they thought was the thing isn't the thing, and actually it's not counselling at all. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of triage was a, a safe place that these people could come where they didn't need to disclose what was the thing. Yeah. And they could, to anyone in their organization, they might disclose what was the thing to me. And then the coaching would be a coaching style conversation that said, by the end of this hour, our intention is that we've worked out what the thing is together. 
and you found a really good place to take the thing and you know how you're going to access it. So at the end of the hour, they might, I can remember one, because this probably, I'm probably talking myself into sense making here. So let me tell you a story. Go on, go for it. Go on. So it's funny because as I think about this story, I can actually see that I was sitting at my desk in my old office. I can see myself sat there having yeah. this conversation with him. And he wanted, he thought he might want coaching. He thought he might want mentoring, but he wasn't really sure. Right. So I said, in the as he arrived in the conversation, why don't you just talk out loud about the things that are happening that make you recognize that you need some kind of external support. And he said, well, there's this and there's this and there's this. And I said to him, as I was listening, I said, it feels as though there's a gap in knowledge here, that there's something that you don't know that you need to know. It feels that there's an area where there's a gap in expertise and it yeah. sounds as though you're talking about getting some expertise in something else. Yeah. So how about we spend the next 45 minutes or whatever was left mm. working out where you're going to find those from. So he's going, but I don't really know what the gap in knowledge is. So I said, we'll just talk about how will you know when that gap in knowledge is full? What does it look mm. like? And by the end of the conversation, what had become absolutely clear was that he needed to find somebody in North London who knew about something very specific that I don't remember. Interesting. And that was the knowledge gap. Yeah. And he knew that he didn't know the name of a person, but they needed to be in, I can't remember why, but they needed to be in North London in order for him to get the right information. Hmm. And he then knew what he was looking for. Right. And then in terms of the expertise gap, he knew that he needed to go somewhere else and find somebody who had done that before. Right. So at the end of the hour, it had cost the his employer had paid me for one hour. Yeah. But he went away without needing to spend any more money because he didn't need to pay for the things that he then recognized that he needed. And I suspect that could have been a six-session conversation. Totally. And and we would have been sat in our ignorance together and he'd have gone, oh, Claire, I'm still not clear. I must come back for another session. But actually yeah. the gap was, was, was working out which bit of information yeah. and which bit of expertise were going to help him find his, his right network. Yeah. And, and so... It wasn't coaching he needed. And, and there's another one where the employer had seen a significant change in behavior in somebody and was really worried about them and very yep. compassionate and wondered whether it needed, it was a conversation that needed some very, you know, some highly specialized therapy. Yeah. But the employer didn't feel that having the conversation with the person was appropriate to ask them what the thing was that was causing the change in behavior because all they sensed was there was something going on in themselves or in their family or in their world oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. outside work yeah. 
that the employer compassionately wanted to offer support for. Yeah. But, you know, when that happens, once the person said it at work, work knows. Yes. And you can't unsay it, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> so that person was sent and the the commission was they can come to you for an hour. Your task is to is to is to talk to them and listen to them confidentially. Nothing yeah. is fed back to the organization. Nothing yeah. is fed anywhere. To listen to them and and give them a safe place to say what the thing is. Yeah. If they're able to or to help them gently find yeah. a way of saying what the thing is and then help them work out what is the right kind of support for them and how they're going to access that. And again, that's another, that's another kind of triage, but Nathan, the thing I really like about it is it, it still leaves them in control as the expert in their yeah. life. And my job is to facilitate them to name the thing. Yeah. And then work out what kind of interventions are available and therefore what kind of options might be good. And then in those days, if I if it became clear that it was therapy that was required, I had the phone number and the license from the employer to ring their their triage for therapy and to directly get that person back in the system without going back through the employer. So do you find you're still doing that sort of work now or has that sort of gone away? Uh, that's gone away, but only no. because I don't work with their people anymore. That's Fine. done by a colleague. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's gone away because it's not my focus now. But Fine. I think... I think it's even better than saying have six coaching sessions because as you just said, yeah. you know, if you discover in the first coaching session that mm. somebody is really traumatized yeah, and that there's a whole load of unresolved stuff where they need to yeah. just, you know, yeah, there's a lot of trauma in the world, isn't there, it, at the moment? It really reminds me of something. It wasn't directly coaching related, but it reminds me when I had a job and – I, I I got this promotion at an organization which I won't mention. And as soon as I started there, the, my employ I had one person working for me. This is my first opportunity to manage someone, so I was very excited. And within our first conversation, I'd ascertained that there was some inappropriate behavior going on between that person and someone else. So they then had to introduce that person to someone who's very close to me, that they could help them navigate that situation, and then they could exit the organization. And that felt very similar what i mean the sense that you have to get to the root of the things that need to be sorted first before you can get on with the the, st the other yeah. stuff and it's almost yeah. like the bits you need to do so someone can feel safe before they're even ready to do the next piece yeah does that help sorry i was no it does it me. does and i think the i think the big issue that comes up for me as you're talking there nathan is that the most caring and compassionate organizations you know, if you think about the most caring and the most compassionate organization you can think of, where they have huge respect and well-boundaried concern for their staff, mm. for their mental health and their well-being, even there, once something's been said in the context mm. of the organization, it can't be unsaid. Yeah. 
And that even when it's safe, you know, sometimes it's so safe that people say something and then have huge issues. They suddenly realize I shouldn't have said that in the work context. Yeah, because I think there is a danger that sometimes it can be career limiting and not because of competency, but because people perceive they need to treat you differently. Yeah. And and I've just thought of another story. So I've had in my career, I've had not many, but a few people talk to me about suicidal thoughts or suicidal things that they have tried or wanted to do. Yeah. And I can remember that happened in an organization and the person told me in a triage session. And I said, there wasn't any current risk. That was clear. And Mm -hmm. I said, what do we need to do now? And they said, I don't think we need to do anything. And there was a bit of a change of mood. Mm -hmm. And I said, how does it feel now you've said that in a completely confidential space in the context of your organization? And they said, I've said it at work because I've said it to you. And now I can move on. Wow. So because the organization was paying for the conversation Mm. this was years ago but because the organization was paying for the conversation yeah the thing their perception of the conversation they were having with me was that they were having it at work yeah and it was absolutely boundaried yeah yeah do you know i was thinking about that do you know we did that piece of work where with the gestalt hand or whatever you want to call it (laughs) Is it the Gestalt hand? I don't know. Cataleptic hand. Oh, the cataleptic hand. What a what a handy name. But I was just thinking about that. That's, that's effectively kind of what you're being in that situation. Yeah. For that moment. Yeah. And then you're gone. Yes. And you're enabling somebody to speak out something in the workplace. Yeah. That 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 they've they've said it in the workplace, but the workplace hasn't been you know overhearing Mm. and I think for some people that level of kind of candor is really important and you know the purpose it's it's a bit different from single session coaching which I guess we'll do another podcast on because that's an interesting thing too yeah and I think I got a bit confused about the two to be honest that's why it's been good to have this conversation yeah so single session coaching is when somebody only needs one session and it's going to move them forward and then they can do yeah. the rest themselves. Yeah. And actually, you know, I'm not, I'm very open about the fact that I think all coaching should start with a single session because we never know if we're going to need more or not. Yeah. But, but, but triage is slightly different because the coach will be doing quite a lot of the right sizing. Yeah. So I might start. So this conversation, we've got an hour yeah, to give you an opportunity to talk about what's going on. And I'm hoping that by the end of the hour, you'll have felt heard. Yeah. And together we'll have had a look at where's the best place to take this. Does this start? So, so in thinking about, so obviously I'm very indoctrinated with stokers. I do love it. And I, I do find it really helpful. But because in in a triage conversation, you kn- 
I guess there's a sense of you know why you're both there already before it started, which is possibly slightly different to a conventional coaching conversation. Would that be fair to say? Yes, and you're there for a very particular purpose that is yes. co-created before you start. And that may, that may not be named before you get in the room, but you know it's something that's causing a problem. Yeah, and, and there's something then about how do you backfill that and make sure that the organisation is clear. So the organisation that sent the most people used to say something like, it feels like there's something something going on here. Right. And um, I'm happy to pay for you to have an hour with Claire so that you can work out together what it is and yeah. she'll help you work out where is the best place to take that, take that. whether whether that's coaching or mentoring or therapy or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that by the end of the conversation, you'll have begun on the road to getting support. Yeah. And you won't have had to tell me, your line manager, what it is. Yeah. But there's, there's a key component here, though, as well. You've not been sent, you've been given the option that if yeah. you think it would be helpful to have a conversation yeah. with this magical lady, Claire, who will kind of help you work that out. So you're not sent. So you don't get into all that stuff with commissioned work where it's yeah. not where you're not you've not got agency in it effectively and I had one I can remember one conversation I had with somebody where it wasn't even safe enough for them to say it to me right and I said you don't have to be here and they stayed and then I said if I absolutely promise you that you don't have to tell me what's going on yeah will you talk to me yeah and then I said something like it feels as though you're being quite affected by this. And I said what I saw, yeah. but I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. Yeah. I'm just wondering whether you've sought any professional support. Yeah. And then basically I asked a whole load of questions and took, I was really good learning and just took the measure of what was going on from her face. Yeah. And, and, I did more talking than I normally would. Yeah. So I think there was a moment when I said, you know, when people are looking for external support, number one, you've acknowledged the thing here with me. Yeah. And I'm wondering whether that's happened before. No. So it might be that now you've acknowledged it at all, that that's enough. Um, Yeah. Or it might be that you need to seek a friend. And then I did a kind of scoping out spectrum. Yeah. with the kind of medical yeah. psychiatric kind of intervention at the far end and said, um, as you hear me say that, I'm guessing you're thinking about where in that mm. spectrum this might be usefully dealt with. What, you know, what do I need to ask you now so that you can get a bit clearer about where you're going to get that from? So it was a lot of, it was, it was, I was, it was, I mean, it was really amazing learning because I was having to kind of track where I could see they were and keep checking in, even though they weren't telling me anything. And it was a massive learning because at the end of it, I recognized that actually, and I saw them sometime later. Yeah. And I looked at a different body from the body I had seen in that room. And it was only because I saw their name on a list that I was given that I thought, oh, golly, that's that person. But I would never have known from their from their face and everything. And I just 
popped over and at lunchtime I said I think we've met before um I don't want to ask about it but I just want to say you look so different and that looks like a good thing but you see I wasn't carrying any baggage in that in that when I reconnected with them but I did feel I had to say something because I because of course one of the things that we know in coaching is that people think they've told us more than they have oh absolutely yeah so I just wanted them to be to remember that I wasn't number one I wasn't going to say anything number two I didn't actually hear their story and number three I just wanted to say my goodness it looks as though you did something and that there's something you did was a really good thing isn't that amazing yeah, so I'm a great fan of triage, I have to say. It just saves yeah. an awful lot of time and hoo-ha, I think. I think, do you know what I like about it? I think as I've learned more about it is it's that ability to support without getting stuck in the stuff. Yeah, Because you don't need to, and especially if someone like the person you've described isn't even in a position where they can share the stuff. And you rightly as a coach should not ask because if they've said they don't want to, that's, that's kind of part of your contract really, isn't it? Say, well, I'm not going to go there unless you, unless that changes, but that ability to operate at a level where you're helping them sort their stuff out without them even needing to tell you what the stuff is. And the thing was very present. It wasn't like we were pretending there wasn't. The thing was right there. And it was and and it was the kind of focus of the conversation. But I don't know what that was. And I don't need to know. Um, But they were able to have quite a challenging conversation with me. Yeah. I was able to have quite a challenging conversation with them to really help them look in the eye where they were going to go with whatever it was. And. I just think I, I, I have a real issue in organisations, as you know, because I've said it to you before, <laughs> about once something's been said, it can't be unsaid. Yes. And, and the most lovely and wonderful and caring and compassionate you are, the more likely a colleague is to tell you something at which point they will go, I wish I hadn't told you that. Yes. Yeah. And it looks a little bit like, and maybe this is a bad analogy, that my friend of mine who's an accountant said, always said that accountants were the worst people at office parties because they always drink the most, apparently. That, that's completely anecdotal, by the way. I'm not saying anything. But what I mean is we make decisions sometimes and we do things at office parties that maybe we don't ever want to be remembered, but we've done them and they can't yeah. not be remembered. No. And they taint everything, yet no one will ever talk about it. And it's a bit like that sometimes. I don't know why I said accountant. Why you could scratch that? Up. <laughs> you forget the idea that <laughs> accountant. Insert any other word. <laughs> yes, insert any other word. Forget that. I just just my my dribble of a brain working. But um, but I think it's true. You know, actually, the things that we do, we can't undo, and the things that we say, we can't unsay. And that doesn't mean it's not good to say things and not good to share stuff. But it's thinking about whether you want that to define you or not. Yes, and it's about. If you're in a conversation which has an escalating level of kindness. Yes. You might slip into disclosing something which had you taken time out and gone away and thought about it, you would have chosen not to disclose. 
Yeah. So as a coach, do you have a responsibility to make sure someone is aware of where they're going? Yes, I think so. And that's why I will name something when I see it and say, we can choose whether to go there or not. Because I can already see, I can already see that happening. And I've seen that, you know, where someone is clearly, you've moved from coach to best friend and know that you've done nothing different as a coach because you're the first person to have a genuine conversation. And because it, because the way it makes you feel when someone is completely focused on you, because you're the most important person in the room as the thinker, that can do things to your endorphins and stuff that makes you feel very, very special and cradled. And actually that can mean that all that stuff that you would normally put up to protect bits of your life or things you're going to talk about can go down, I think, sometimes. And it's yeah, um, and that gets us nicely into ethics, doesn't it, Nathan? Because I can yes. remember being told by a number of men, you know, you understand me better than my wife. And yeah. I want to go, I don't actually yeah 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 (laughs) you've just experienced a deep quality of listening yeah but I haven't taken it into myself and I'm not giving you back my me so so yes you have just experienced a conversation where you have felt extremely heard Mm -hmm. and thank you for the feedback yeah. And where you've got new insights into your own stuff, but stop turning me into into a wife, a future wife, you know? Yeah, yeah. But that's about boundaries again, isn't it? There's something I want to say here. I don't know if it's appropriate. Go but on. I want, what I want to say here, and something that I've learned, actually, so this is about me, some of that, I guess, is that actually, if you've been listened to like that, do you listen to your wife like that? Because <laughs> she probably would benefit from that. And that could change everything for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. including your physical relationship potentially mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just think that's yeah that's something that's really jumped out at me in terms of the way we listen to people and the way we've if you've experienced great coaching in terms of being listened to like that do you listen to the people that you are the closest to you and you care about most mm-hmm. in that way mm-hmm. not as a coach but as just in, in using the skills in terms of actually noticing and listening to what they're actually saying yeah yeah so what do you know now about triage that you didn't know when we started Nathan it's a slightly bigger topic obviously but that's fine (laughs) we like that I think it's really I think it's really exciting that there's that there's a space for that actually um and and what I've learned is that yet again it's about delivering a safe place where people can use that space to sort their thinking out about what they need to do, which comes back to that whole coaching principle that I believe someone mentioned this once, um, you know, that people are together enough to sort their own stuff out unless they're not. Mm. And actually holding that true and helping them journey through to work out what they need. Yeah. Because when people are very low in personal power. Yeah we need to make sure that they retain what they've got and that we don't take away the last bit by trying to be too helpful. Yes. And sometimes suggesting a course of action is the last thing they need because I've worked with quite a few individuals where it's been strongly suggested that they need X, Y, and Z. And when you get there, X, Y, and Z is not the issue. Yeah. 
at all, but they have no agency and no influence over that. So they've had to accept that because they have, if it's in the like commercial setting, fear of losing their job or yeah. fear of not being seen to be playing ball when actually mm. they just they have no agency. So, yeah. And then you go for the thing. Yeah. That was t- recommended. And it fails. because And it fails and, and, it fails and you're <laughs> not fully engaged because it wasn't the right thing. And then, yeah. and then your reputation is, and we offered them this and they wouldn't take it. Yes, which gets back into your nasty box-ticking exercises, yeah. which, which are not good at all. Yeah. And also, I, I really firmly believe as well that if someone chooses to do something, even if that thing doesn't solve the problem, the fact they've chosen to do it means they're engaged with it, i.e. they've made the choice to be there. And then it comes back to the other principle, any movement is movement. Yeah. And the fact they've started moving, I, I keep getting this picture of a, a boulder and you're just kicking that last little stone out from underneath it and it's starting to roll. And that's all that might happen in that coaching conversation and the the boulder bowling down the hill, which will be the big event. There's nothing to do with you because you've, Mm. you've kind of helped move the, the, the the small stone that's holding it still Mm. Mm. as a coach. says. (laughs) Yeah. So it's all about agency, isn't it? And one of the things I really like about the mental health aware stuff for coaches that Anne Archer's doing and others are also doing it is that if you do the mental health first aid training and the mental health aware training you're even more equipped to know what's available as triage yeah but you're not being a therapist you're simply doing triage with a bit of a bigger range yeah so i think i would recommend if anyone's listening and and is thinking of doing triage that is an absolute gold mine of of something that will resource you to more confidently hold stuff as you do triage but it's it's very cost effective because it means that when well it means that if the person only needed one session you can have done the coaching in a single session anyway (laughs) yeah but it also means that they can take control of their own life and how much they choose to disclose or not disclose yeah. to the organization I, I think that's that's totally correct and actually interesting i took on something that you said around that i did as someone's actually in therapy and they've got then have a coaching intervention and having that conversation with them saying well you know we, you've got you know where to take that stuff if it's inappropriate and that was really helpful because that person actually turned around at the end of the first coaching and said coaching isn't what i need right now I need to spend more time in therapy. And I've no idea why that's true, but I know that the space that was created meant that that was okay to them to say that. And they yeah. had no guilt and no, because I think one of the things, if you sign up to six sessions, you disappear after session one and the co- as a coach, you're all geared up to do six sessions. There can be a bit of a breakdown in terms of expectation and someone yeah. that's already potentially a bit broken because of other stuff that's going on is them feeling entitled to someone that they don't really want to or need anymore. And you've just layered a whole node of extra stuff they've got to deal with on. And so instead of being part of the solution, you become part of the problem. That's why doing a bit of coaching is better than a chemistry session because you can actually find that out earlier, I think. But yeah, that's another definitely. call, isn't it? Absolutely. But true. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you've described a situation where somebody decided to go to therapy and not coaching but there are equally times I can think of many times 
where I've said in the middle of something when somebody said something. Mm -hmm. So is that a coaching thing or a therapy thing? And they go, oh, that's a therapy thing. I'll take that to my next session. Great. Or they go, actually, it's a therapy thing, but I'd like to explore it in coaching and see what happens. Yeah. And then they get a forward movement in another aspect of it. Yeah. Um, So I think being flexible and really co-creating, but within that, we need to know what the potential for co-creation is. Yeah. And the boundaries are where we're prepared to operate. And I think that what we want to say at the end of this podcast, Nathan, is that triage is a great thing that you can co-create with somebody. Absolutely. And it's a great service as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nathan Whitbread, thank you for coming. And I do love your microphone. (laughs) Just have to say that to all our listeners. (laughs) I have microphone envy here, everybody. So thank you, Nathan. I'm Claire Pedrick. I've been talking to Nathan about triage, and I think probably we'll think about doing some kind of coaching lab around Mm. this. So watch this space. Enjoy your week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. See you. (laughs) If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean, and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching In, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.